Would you please rise? <clears throat> Excuse me. Please rise for the reading of God's word. Uh, this morning we're going to be in Habakkuk 3. So if you have your Bible, please turn to Habakkuk 3. If you don't have a Bible, uh, we have a bookshelf in the back. Uh, please help yourself. And uh, we want you to have the word of God in your hands. <clears throat> Habakkuk 3, 16 through 19. I heard and I trembled within. My lips quivered at the sound. Rottenness entered my bones. I trembled where I stood. Now I must quietly wait for the day of distress to come against the people invading us. Though the fig tree does not bud and there is no fruit on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though the flock disappears from the pen and there are no herds in the stalls, yet I will celebrate in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord, my Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like those of a deer and enables me to walk on mountain heights. The Word of God. Amen. You guys can go ahead and take a seat. What if I told you that every single person was desperately searching for the same exact thing? Every person in the world searching for one thing. Friends, we're all searching for joy. Is my mic on? Yeah, I hear it. Okay. Uh, yeah, yep. There's the build and the tension there for you. Um, so think about it. I don't even have to convince you that you want joy in your life. As we kind of talk about it, as you go throughout your day, maybe you're someone who's constantly filled with joy. Maybe you're someone who's glass half full type of person and you're just constantly joyful. Maybe you're someone who maybe is glass half empty type person and you're wondering, man, how could, how could I just experience a little bit more joy today? Friends, we all try to gravitate towards different things where we want to experience joy and receive joy from them. In our declaration of independence, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, some of the most common pieces of advice that you'll ever receive from friends, family, people you're connecting with, maybe it's just someone who you're having a conversation with, they might tell you, just do what makes you happy. Now, over time, the phrase has maybe transitioned a little bit, and you might hear it in a different way, and you might hear it today said, well, just find your truth. Well, in reality, if you start thinking about it, they're not saying find actual truth. What they're getting back to is find what gives you joy. Find what makes you happy. And it's the most important question that we continue to ask ourselves, whether we realize it or not. We're all saying, where do I actually find joy? For thousands of years, since the beginning of time, we've been on this quest to actually find joy and where we experience joy in our own life. So as we've been walking through the Advent season, as we've been talking about these different topics like hope and love, and today we talk about joy, many of us might find ourselves in a great spot in a season where we're experiencing great joy. We're excited about the moments that we're going to get with family over the next couple of weeks. We're excited about the time that we're going to spend laughing and, and uh, just experiencing that sense of joy that we kind of see on the television and we read in the newspapers and everything is pointing us towards a season of joy. And maybe the other half of us is sitting here in moments where we're mourning, maybe grieving, Stressed out of our minds because work feels like it's piling down. Sickness is kind of all over the place in our city. We're planning too much and we're stressed out about making sure we get the Christmas celebration just right. And trying to see this season as a season of joy is the exact opposite of what we're actually experiencing. So, we're left asking ourselves, 
Where do we find joy? How can we actually experience it? That's something that the prophet Habakkuk is also wrestling with. So I want to dive us back into Habakkuk chapter 3 and read these first couple of verses once more to kind of see what Habakkuk is actually processing. So Habakkuk chapter 3, if you want to open up your Bibles, starting in verse 16. If you can't find it, by the way, it's okay to use the table of contents. I use it all the time. Habakkuk's a really small book towards the end of the Old Testament, so you can flip there and read along with me. Verse 16. I heard and I trembled within. My lips quivered at the sound. Rottenness entered my bones. I trembled where I stood. Now I must quietly wait for the day of distress to come against the people invading us. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there is no fruit on the vines. Though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food. Though the flocks disappear from the pen and there are no herds in the stalls. Yet I will celebrate in the Lord. I will rejoice in the Lord of my salvation. In our text this morning, the prophet Habakkuk, he's wrestling with a lot of similar questions you might be wrestling with today. Habakkuk would have lived a couple of hundred years after King David, after King Solomon, and he's in this period where Assyria is actually ruling, has come over uh, Israel, and they're, or Judah specifically, and they're reigning and ruling over them, so they're kind of oppressed at this time. They're kind of in a sense of slavery. There's not a lot to their life at this point, and as he's praying in the first couple of chapters of this book, you start to see right away he's asking God, where are you? Like, why won't you come and do something about this? And then we start to see this exchange, this conversation between Habakkuk and God. And as you're kind of reading it, you see the beauty of the intimacy of the relationship. Habakkuk can be completely honest with the Lord, and the Lord continues to respond to him. But as Habakkuk wrestles with what's going on, as he's under the oppression of Assyria, he's starting to see his people start to walk towards other gods, continuing to worship other gods. And he's pained. He's got agony over this. He wants them to continue to follow the true God. And so he expresses this to him. And in the middle of it all, God says, oh, I am doing something about it. And you're kind of left thinking, okay, well, what's he doing? God says, I'm going to send a greater enemy, actually. Babylon. Someone who's far worse. A greater empire, a greater kingdom to continue to move towards slavery for you. To where it will not be uh, exactly what you're asking for or what you think. And for the rest of the book, we start reading this conversation where Habakkuk's angry. He's frustrated. He's almost like livid at God because he's begging for God to rescue and save them. And yet God is... A, moving towards actual justice, actual wrath. And he's bringing Babylon to them, and everything feels like it's in complete disarray. The people aren't doing well, and it's going to get worse. Imagine a conversation where you're in the middle of a dark season, and you're praying and begging the Lord to bring some sort of relief for you. And he responds, oh, this is just the tip of the iceberg. Wait for it. More is coming. Habakkuk kind of gets to the point to where we read in in chapter 3, verse 16, where he's having this conversation, and he says, Man, I heard and I trembled within my lips. My lips quivered at the sound. Rottenness entered my bones. I trembled where I stood. Now I must quietly wait for the day of distress to come against the people invading us. Doesn't sound like someone who's in a great spot. 
doesn't sound like someone who's got this sense of abounding happiness, the sense of someone just jumping up and down with excitement in the room. He feels it in his bones. He knows that destruction is coming. I mean, can you imagine the pain? He's watching a people he loves walk away from God, be enslaved, and yet he sees a picture of what is yet to come. Something far worse. There is no joy in Habakkuk's circumstances at all. Nothing about the situation would lead him to excitement, to be happy, to be content in what he's wrestling with. But as you start to read, you see something change in Habakkuk. Start to kind of explore, okay, so what is he saying? What's going on? He says, the figs won't blossom, and figs, they're a delicacy for Israel. He goes on to say the grapes, they're also, there's no fruit on the vine. Grapes would have provided their daily drink. Okay, olives, nope, those aren't coming in either. Well, that would have provided oil for cooking and for lighting fires. The fields would have, uh, would have been of barley and a wheat, which would have consisted of their daily foods, right? Their daily meals. Sheep and cattle would have provided wealth, wool to be clothed. The cattle would have been used to prepare the ground for planting. So as we're kind of reading these things, Habakkuk's not just listing a couple of things that are maybe going a little bit wrong in his life, but he's saying everything that we need to live is disappearing, These aren't just simple, random circumstances that might feel like it's something that's just disappearing and they'll get through it. But this is their civilization. Feels like it's completely crashing and crumbling. It's disastrous. And then you keep reading. Verse 18. And yet, I will celebrate in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. It's odd to read that. It's odd to think about it. If you knew you weren't going to have food, something to drink, if you knew the paycheck wasn't going to come in, the mortgage is just leaning over your head, and you feel like everything is coming crashing down, Habakkuk's response is, and yet... I will celebrate in the Lord. It seems odd to see that Habakkuk is wrestling with all this stuff and yet at the same time can continue to celebrate and rejoice in who God is. And we see really as you kind of start to examine how can he walk through this? How can he actually feel that way? How can he experience this sense of joy that's in the middle of something that's in complete chaos? His world is completely falling apart. And it's because we find that his joy is not in a circumstance, it's not in money, it's not in food, it's not in possessions, but it's found in a person. His joy is found in God himself. And so as we kind of consider this and we start to examine, okay, so what is our joy in? Well, what's clear from this passage, and as we even just start understanding what joy truly is, what determines our joy, or what determines how long our joy lasts is what our joy is in. 
Maybe you've heard that happiness and joy aren't the same thing. Maybe as you've wrestled with it, maybe in city groups, you guys have kind of had those conversations. And I can agree to some extent. Uh, And I think there is a difference between happiness and joy because happiness seems like it's a fleeting emotion. It's something that can come for just a short bit of time and then disappear. But joy is like this deep well that continues to run with water. It's not just this short fuse, but at the same time, happiness is an opportunity to see the joy come out, right? It's like the outward expression of joy in different ways. And as we see over and over and over again, what we choose to take joy in will determine how long it lasts. Think of it this way. I love Chinese food buffets. When I'm walking in those doors, I'm pumped. I'm excited. I'm thinking, okay, got crab rangoon, got my fried rice, got, uh, got those little rolls with sugar all over them. Uh, yes. Amen. More and more and more. And by the time I'm done with my third or fourth plate, I kind of get back to my chair and I go, oh, no, it's gone. No more joy. Get back to the office, sitting in there, got to write a sermon. Mm, sleep sounds a lot better. Mm, I feel a little too chubby to even get out of this chair. Uh, dang it. And the joy is gone. Maybe it looks a little bit more serious. If we place our joy in something like the approval of people, we start thinking, okay, sweet, I'm going to win them over. I'm going to hope to have their respect. I want them to like me. I want them to approve of me. I want them to think I'm funny. I want them to want to hang out with me. And we start placing our joy in trying to please people and and their response to who we are. And honestly, by the end of it, we're kind of miserable. And we're miserable because we could never be enough for them. We will fail or they will fail us. We're trying to please people who are unpleasable. If our joy is found in something like the approval of man, it will not last very long. Some of us will try to find joy in like success or experiences. We'll just start thinking, okay, when I climb the corporate ladder, everything's going to be a lot better. Then I'm going to be happy. When we get that raise, then life will be good. If we can make sure we start to, hey, yeah, I'm going to travel the world. And when I get to every single state of the 50 or when I get to every other country, when I finally visit Australia for that one time, everything's going to be perfect in life. Think about it this way. When we talk about like the happiest place on earth, you know, the commercials, you start to see it. Oh, it's Disneyland, right? That's the happiest place ever. If you've ever been to Disneyland, you kind of get there and you go, oh, dang it, they just took all my money. (laughs) Then you kind of walk in and you're putting around and you're like, I need a water, I need a, and it's like $10. Oh, thanks, cool, now I'm going to go ride that ride. Oh, I have to wait an hour and a half. Oh, sweet, and then little Johnny's just all stinky and he's all sweaty all over you and you just hear him and you're just like, ha, 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 hey, buddy. Or your own kids start crying. And then you start crying because you're like, just please let me on the roller coaster. And the joy is completely gone. Friends, whatever you choose to put your joy in will determine how long it lasts. One way to maybe help yourself uncover and see what is your joy in 
Ask yourself the same question. When I have this, then I'll be happy. When our marriage maybe just looks like this, then, then we'll be happy. When work stops being such a headache and that person across the desk is gone, then it'll be perfect. When my kids finally grow up and are able to listen to me, everything will be okay. There's all these different types of things in the world that we try to place our joy in. We try to say, man, when this happens, everything will be fine. Well, friends, the true source, source of our joy should be in one that is completely eternal and everlasting. And that's where we can find the type of joy that Habakkuk is talking about. And so as we start to look at this, we start to uncover and see, man, our joy is not something that should be temporal with an expiration date, but it should be in someone who is eternal, who is completely good, who will continue to give us joy. The world's happiness is found in different happenings. When the Christian's happiness, the Christian's joy isn't found in what, but it's found in God himself. And Habakkuk's a great example for us to look at because he shifts his point of view. As he's in the middle of discussing everything that's kind of going on around him, as, he, as he's wrestling with the things that he's processing in his own life and in his own world, he, he focuses in on his circumstances for uh, the majority of the letter. He's complaining for a large stretch of time, but at the same time, he's letting his anger continue to go to God. He's wrestling with the Lord in it all. His heart moves and he stops looking at everything around him and he starts to point his view on the one who actually gives him security. On the one who's actually consistent. The one who never changes. The one who continues to be with him time and time again. And that's God and God alone. Happiness is it's an outworking. It's an overflow of joy. But joy is consistent. It's deeper. It's eternal. It bears these deep roots that isn't something that's just there for a moment and then gone. But it's something that actually is within us that we can continue to look to. But why is joy found in God? Why is our joy found in Him? Why is He the only source that we can look to that will continue to sustain us and to give us great joy? Verse 18, Habakkuk reminds us that God is the God of His salvation. He is the same God for us too. Verse 18, I will celebrate in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. As we sit in the Advent season, we're reminded, right? We're all kind of moving towards Christmas. Everybody's making their plans. You're thinking about, okay, what are we going to cook? What are we going to get? How are we going to wrap the presents? Make sure we know where we're going for travel. Is everyone going to be safe? And we get to this point as we start really thinking about, why do we even do this thing? The purpose is looking back to Jesus. We're reminded to think back about who God is. And in the middle of that, we can also be reminded that God was consistent with his promises. God continued to provide uh, for his people. He continues to be faithful to his covenant. He cares for his people. He's given us a certain hope. He's demonstrated his love for us, as we talked about last week. And it's all because he sent his son, Jesus. It's all because we can continue to look to and cling to the one who came for us to save us from our sin. And so we wonder, why can we find our joy in Jesus? Because he's consistent. 
Because He's the God of our salvation. Because while our circumstances may be terrible, our God is still good. While our circumstances may be absolutely splendid at this moment, our God continues to be there with us, not just in the sorrows, but also in the celebrations. God is continuing to be with his people. And Habakkuk, he's wrestling with God. But as you kind of read the letter, if you've read it uh, before, if you haven't, I encourage you to. But uh, you can start to see time and time again as, as Habakkuk is talking with God, as he's expressing his anger with God, God is telling him why he's actually going to send Babylon. And it's because the people of Israel have strayed from God. It's because they're worshiping other gods. It's because they're not being consistent in their own fellowship and walk with him. And as we start to evaluate and see, man, God executes his judgment and his wrath on their sin and their unfaithfulness. We too look to Jesus in our own sin, in our own unfaithfulness. And we start to see, man, Jesus took on the judgment, the wrath, the punishment, so we wouldn't have to. It's not like God's bringing Babylon onto us, but we get to rejoice because Jesus took that all on himself. This baby who came and laid in a manger is the one who took it all for us. And that's why we can celebrate. That's why we can rejoice. That's the one who is the source of our joy because our sin is done away with. It's forgiven. It's paid for. And while he may not change our circumstance here now today, we have someone to look to. We have an eternal life to just be ecstatic about the fact that, man, God didn't just leave us here. It may feel like day to day that as you're wrestling with whatever you're pondering on, you're, you may be alone. But there's a God who's spoken to us, who continues to speak to us through his word that says, I will never leave or forsake you. We can look back on the promises that he's continued to give time and time again, and he is over with us continually. He didn't just give us a gift of salvation, but he gave us himself. Look at the relationship that Habakkuk has with God. It's not one where God just kind of leaves him high and dry and says, yeah, that's happening. See you later. But it's one where he's okay with Habakkuk just being angry, frustrated. He's okay with Habakkuk just running to him and saying, why are you doing this? I don't understand. It doesn't make any sense. And he's frustrated with him completely. And yet God continues to provide for him in different ways and remind him of the fact that he is the God of his salvation. He is the God who he could rejoice in. He is the one who is his strength. And when we find our joy in a person rather than our circumstances, we start to see that the well of joy that is within us is a gift that's promised to us. It's something that's beautiful for us to actually sit with and we can continue to see, man, how does Habakkuk really wrestle with all of these things? He sees his entire world disappearing. And yet at the same time, he can look to to the God that he's continuing to wrestle with. He can rejoice in that God of his salvation. He can celebrate in that God. What moves in to continue to wrestle with verse 19, he says, The Lord is my Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like those of a deer. He enables me to walk on mountain heights. And he goes on, for the choir director on stringed instruments. We should add the cello. Dang it. Um, maybe we, I don't know. Do we know the tune to it? That'd be sweet if we could sing it. But he said, the Lord is my strength. Makes me feel like a deer on mountain heights. 
Um, so I can't remember who it was. Dang it. I was talking to somebody and sometimes you see the pictures all over the internet and it's like a goat on like a, on like a weird mountaintop and you're kind of like, how did that thing get there? And he's just standing. He feels completely secure. Or maybe you've seen like the, the videos of deers. I've never heard of this. Deers running down mountains, like just super fine. And so I Googled it. I'm like, okay, I got to find this. And I watched like 10 videos of different deer just like gliding. I mean, they're zooming. They're cruising down these mountains. And some of them had like snow on them. So I'm sitting there thinking about it. And I was like, okay, I can't even like walk down the hill from the church into my car when it's slick out. I fall. And I'm thinking, okay, so it's these, he's painting this picture of this deer whose who's feet, his feet are like a deer. He enables him to walk on the mountain heights. And I'm just thinking, man, that's secure. That's a good foundation. That's someone who's continuing to be consistently driven down something that might seem like absolute terror. And as we're pondering this, we start to see, man, it's solid ground. He feels like he's standing straight up on what's beneath him. And so as we consider our joy, we start to see the Lord is our strength. It's not actually what we typically think when you think of joy. When you think of joy, we maybe see like on an outward picture, everybody kind of thinks, oh yeah, it's someone who's uh, got a big personality, is really charismatic, bubbly type of person. Man, that person is full of joy. And that might be true. They're, they're, they might be someone who's just absolutely abounding in joy. But that's also really easy to fake. Like, can we be honest? Like, it's really easy to just be like, ah, to scream and seem like you're happy. Most of us do it day to day. So what actually does it look like? What is it? Well, sometimes we start to think, okay, when we read about joy, we maybe interpret that to start thinking, oh, that just means like tough it out. Like, just get through whatever you're wrestling with, okay? Just hang in there. If you smile today, you'll be okay. Well, that's not really what Habakkuk does. I mean, we can learn from this man, this prophet, as he's speaking to the Lord. What he does is, is he actually talks about the things in life that he's wrestling with. He doesn't ignore the reality. Habakkuk continues to see, hey, man, food and drink are fading. But as he looks at them, he also sees the God that provided them in the first place. He, he sees that, yeah, this stuff is real. But how, how much more real is the God of my salvation? We start to see that his, he's, he's experiencing this sense of joy. And as we wrestle with joy and what it looks like and what, how we embody it, how we experience it ourselves, man, joy is a gift from the Lord. Romans chapter 15, verse 13. It says, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you believe, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Spirit. It's a gift from God as we get to experience joy. Joy is something that God's given to us. Looking at joy in Galatians chapter 5, he labels it as one of the fruits of the Spirit, one of the fruit of the Spirit. And as I'm thinking about the fruit of the Spirit, man, that's a gift that God gives to us that we're able to have and we examine ourselves in our own lives. But at the same time, as we look at the fruit of the Spirit, there's some of those that like come really easy for some of us. Joy, in all honesty, is one that I'm just like, well, I get out of bed and I'm just kind of like, well, yeah, the day is here. I tell my wife sometimes, I'm like, let's attack the day. And she's like, shut up, I'm sleeping. (laughs) And uh, that's just different wirings, different personalities. And the Lord's given me a sense of joy. But as I look at, uh, okay, what else is in the fruit of the Spirit? Oh, patience. Oh, I don't have that one. 
And so as I'm wrestling with what joy is, I start to see, man, it's a gift from the Lord. And then in John 16, verse 24, Jesus says, ask and you shall receive that your joy may be full. Again, it's something that you're asking the Lord for. So it's not something that like you're mustering up on your own. It's a gift that God is giving to us. It's something that he's granted to us as believers. And I think it's really easy to maybe sit here and kind of go, oh, yeah, the person who like looks like they've got a ton of joy in their life, like there's someone who's maybe happy all of the time, they're like varsity Christians. And I'm just trying to work my way up to that. For, for whatever reason, we've put that on, to, uh, on that expression of joy. But the reality is God can continue to do something in you even if you wrestle with it a little more. You have joy because you have Jesus, and in Jesus is where our joy is actually in. And it might be something that you have to ask for a little bit more. Some of y'all are some of the most patient people in the world. And I'm sitting here and I'm begging God, please give me more patience. And we look at it like it's one or the other. But at the same time, these are, these are gifts that the Lord gives to us. The second thing that I kind of notice about joy is that, so if it's a gift, and if we see it, you know, as, as something we ask for and we're continually begging Jesus to maybe do something in our lives, then, then it's a discipline as well. It's something that we have to regularly practice in our own spiritual walk, right? We see it's a, it's a spiritual discipline almost to some extent because it's commanded in Scripture in different passages all over the Bible. I mean, uh, we start to see it, okay, the Psalms, all over the place. Isaiah, Zechariah, Matthew, Philippians, Thessalonians. It's commanded to rejoice, right, which is the act of joy. And that's just a small snippet. I cut out a bunch of the other ones because I was like, oh, that's like dang near every book of the Bible. That almost commands us to rejoice. John 15, Jesus is teaching about abiding in him. He's teaching about living life with him, remaining close to who he is and abiding in that love. And as he's talking about that love, he says in verse 11, I have told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. Sounds like the exact opposite of the things we try to put our joy in. Never complete because it fades. Always something that comes with an expiration. And yet God's desire out of love for us is that our joy may be complete in Him. For some of us, it might be difficult to really think about that and even really considering, man, this is, this is something that God is really doing in our hearts. And maybe it's a season where you're grieving, you're feeling lost, you're, you're in a season that's just hard and you're like, okay, so how, how do I actually express my joy in who God is? And we see it as that gift, as that discipline. And, and Habakkuk keys in on something for us to see about joy specifically. He says, the Lord is my strength. When he uses that illustration of the deer, again, it's the strength to continue to be steadfast, to stand confidently, to continue to walk in such a way that we're uh, not tossed or falling over time and time again. It's a firm foundation. Our joy is fixed on God himself. Now, Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10 
uh, if you went and flipped and uh, as you kind of pondered on that passage, it's a section where the, it's, it's post-exiles, right? So uh, Babylon has come in, kind of wiped them out, brought them into all slavery, and the people are finally let back to go back to Judah, Jerusalem, and to take back their land. They start building back the temple. They start building the wall back up. And then the priest, Ezra, ooh, excuse me, and then uh, Nehemiah come up and they say, well, let's read God's word to the people. And so they start to read the book of the law. And they're in this season where they're celebrating the Feast of Booze. They're, they're supposed to be in this moment of just absolutely rejoicing. And Ezra gets up there and everybody stands uh, together. And he starts reading God's word to them. And they all start weeping. Because they haven't heard it in ages. They, they've been in exile, right? They've been lost and now they're back home, and they're wrestling with this reality. Okay, cool. Our temple's not as big as what we thought it was going to be. The harvest didn't bring in as much food as we wanted it to see. There wasn't as much fruit on the vines as we thought there was going to be. This promised land that we were looking back to doesn't actually satisfy us completely. And then when Ezra starts to read the scriptures, they hear about a God who completely does satisfy them. And in verse 10 of chapter 8 of Nehemiah, it says, do not grieve, but but the joy of the Lord is your strength. And it's almost like, we, you know, you read Habakkuk and it's super something. Yet I will celebrate in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The joy of the Lord is your strength. When we receive it, when we experience it, when we have the joy of the Lord, it's something that strengthens us. James chapter 1. Consider it joy, my brothers and sisters, whatever you experience, various trials, because you know the testing of your faith produces endurance. And he goes on just a little bit further after that, and he says, uh, uh, the doubter is like a surging sea driven and tossed by the wind. Two weeks ago, we talked about Romans chapter 5 when we were talking about hope, and we see how suffering actually matures us. It strengthens us in our walk with God, and we see that joy is actually a part of all of that, right? Now, how do we actually have joy in all of these circumstances? If, if we know that joy is found in a person rather than in what's happening in our life, if we know it's a discipline to practice, if we know it's a gift that we've received from God, it can strengthen us. And one way to actually experience joy is to just be honest with the fact that we're not experiencing it. Like Habakkuk is a perfect example for us to see in these moments. Because he's not experiencing joy. And he goes to the Lord with it. He wrestles with God. He shares his anger. He shares his frustration. He pounds on God's chest. He prays and lets God know he's angry. And he expresses that through the entire book. And then at the end, we start to see that something changes. Because he doesn't just sit in the terrible news. He doesn't just let it eat him to the point of despair. Because despair is the opposite of joy. But he changes his point of view. Right? The whole time Habakkuk's wrestling with, what is joy? How do, I, how do I look to God? How do I actually experience this sense of joy that he's supposed to give me? Or why is he not answering the prayer that I want him to, the way that I want him to answer it? Habakkuk's been looking at Israel as this, this comparison almost in this way. He's saying, man, these people are evil and we're supposed to have something good. 
And as he's wrestling with all the terrible news that his enemies are terrible, Israel's in shambles, how can the evil guys, how can the bad guys be winning? He focuses on the circumstances, but when he changes his focus, he starts to rejoice. Watch what Habakkuk does as he's kind of reading this, and and even maybe a way we might express it as we wrestle with the Lord. Though the fig tree does not bud, I'm not able to buy any nice gifts for my family this year. And there is no fruit on the vine. We just can't seem to get pregnant. The olive crop fails and the fields produce no foods. My marriage is in shambles and I feel so alone. Though there are no sheep in the pen, my kids won't talk to me. There are no herds in the stalls. The cancer diagnosis was positive. Yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will rejoice not in my circumstances, but I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. He changes his point of view in Habakkuk in chapter 3. If you read the beginning of it, verses 1 and 2, what he says is he says, I've heard the report about you, Lord. I stand in awe of your deeds. He reflects on what God has done in the past. He reflects on how God has continued to be consistent, how he's expressed, how good he is time and time again. And he stops focusing on the circumstances that are right before him, but he focuses on the Lord who's continued to pursue him. He focuses on the God who's continued to be consistent and show his love for him. And even as we kind of look at that and take, it that, take that example and place it in our own lives, right? One of the best ways to continue to be reminded that God is good is to remember everything he's done. We can remember it in multiple ways. You can remember it by reading the scriptures and see, man... We've sit here and we wrestled, but at the same time that we may, our circumstances may not be great. We may be mourning. We may be grieving. We may be celebrating in this season of Advent. We may be excited for the fact that we get to celebrate that Jesus, man, he's come as an infant. He's pursued his people. He's come for salvation for all of us. And we get to remember those stories, but not even just remember the stories of scripture, but remember the stories that God's written in your own life. God's consistently been present in your life. And one of the best ways for us to just recall those moments, and and if you're someone maybe who struggles maybe with joy a little bit more, I'd encourage you to actually start journaling. To to maybe put those right, maybe make a list of different times where you've just seen Jesus show up in huge ways in your life. Put them down on one piece of paper. Tape that piece of paper to your bathroom mirror or something so you can continue to see that. Be reminded of how God is consistently pursuing you, been good to you, so that you can change your point of view from your circumstances to looking back on Jesus. By seeing that our circumstances maybe, maybe stink, they may be hard, they maybe push us to limits that we don't feel like we could actually walk through. And yet, man, would we celebrate in the God of our salvation? Would we celebrate in the Savior, the King, the Father, a friend, a Redeemer, an Advocate, our cornerstone in Jesus, who sits on the throne of victory, who bears our burdens, who empathizes with us in our weaknesses, who is with us in our pain, was given for us so that our joy may be complete. There's something really beautiful that happens on Sunday mornings when we get to sing together. Because the reality is, 
when you walk through those doors, your problems are still there. But when we sit in this room and when we stand together, it may feel like at the start, and our problems are so good and it feels like our God is so small. But as we start to sing, we start to celebrate as we start to lift up the God of our salvation, there's something that happens in our hearts and in our souls. That when we walk out of the building, it often feels like our God is so big and our problems are so small. When we come to sing, we lift up His name, we read from the promises of His work, we rejoice together in song. It moves our hearts to actually stop looking and fixating on our circumstances, but it moves us to actually fixate on the God of our salvation, to rejoice, to celebrate. And if you go back and you kind of read through Nehemiah and you start seeing what the people are doing there in those moments, it says, man, they haven't rejoiced like that since the time of Joshua. And they're celebrating. They're, they're consistently just moving. Man, this isn't what we thought it was going to be. But I'm reminded of the God that I get to look to. And as you might be wrestling with it today, you might start thinking, man, this life is not what I thought it was going to be. But as we get to sing, man, joy was brought to the world. And a baby who came in a manger... And a baby who grew up and walked among us. And a young man who continued to love the people around him. A carpenter who loved and cared for people so much that he gave his life for them. A God who doesn't look at you and say, well, if you just express a little bit more joy, then I would save you. But a man of sorrows who took nails on the cross, looked at the joy that was set before him, And continued to give his life for us. And for that church, we rejoice. Lord, I thank you that you are eternal. I thank you that you are a God who isn't someone who just gives us short moments of little bit of happiness. But you're a God who is the source of our joy. Lord, I pray for each of us in the room that we would be able to rejoice and celebrate and be strengthened by the joy that you give to us. I pray that your joy may be complete in us and I pray that we would remember that we could have joy in the God who continues to save and the God who continues to pursue us and the God who's come for us. Lord, I pray that uh, that joy would sustain us, that that joy uh, would be something we're able to fixate on, that that joy would continue to uh, move us through our circumstances and that our circumstances wouldn't be the things that are driving us, but you and you alone, Lord, would be. Bless us in your name. Amen.